Hi everyone, my name is Blake Skews and welcome to the SCU Buzz podcast. Today I'll be talking to Dylan Polis, a Southern Cross academic and researcher within the Faculty of Health with a PhD in eSports psychology. eSports has been gathering momentum worldwide in recent years with competition leagues attracting huge prize money and prestige. Dylan has also received a grant from the Australian Institute of Sport to research the factors associated with success in eSports. It's great to have you here today, Dylan. How are you? Good, thanks, Blake. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Honestly, it's been amazing to research you in the last few days and just gather some questions together because I'm such a huge fan of esports and I feel like it's absolutely growing still, but there's still a lot to go. And I feel like you're someone who can bring it to the limelight a bit more and explain exactly what esports is. So I wanted to jump in first and say, where did your interest in esports originate and the psychology behind it? So for anyone listening to Blake and I and and wondering what what is esports, esports is the competitive playing of your regular video game. So every esport is a video game, but not every video game is an esport. And so I think that's one of the clear distinctions that us as myself as someone in the esports industry likes to make straight away in that when I say esports, I mean like those the formal kind of safe and facilitated competitive playing of video games, not always at the big tournaments that that you kind of referenced earlier, where they're playing for tens of millions of US dollars in front of hundreds of millions of people in person and online, but but even something that's starting to happen at, you know, rural, regional levels around around Australia. I've always had an interest in in esports. And I know that everyone who's passionate about something says that, but I think mum and dad always say that the biggest mistake they made when I was growing up was buying me my first Xbox. And um, I fell in love with it. I, I played a lot of traditional sports. I was a big, big cricket fan and equally a huge esports fan. And, and the story I like to tell is that when I was when I was much younger than I am now and playing cricket and loving cricket, I had every level of support that you could imagine. From the age of five, you can play Milo cricket all the way through high school or your local clubs, grade cricket, Queensland, where I grew up, and then, you know, one day play for Australia. I obviously was not that good. But but I didn't have that with my esports love. So I was equally passionate about games like, you know, the first Halo and some of the early Call of Duties and some of these really iconic games that older people might might still remember now. But there was no support for, for me to pursue excellence or community or psychosocial development like I was experiencing in cricket. There was no support for me to do that in esports. And it, it was when I was studying my undergrad of psychology at the Queensland University of Technology up in Brisbane that I saw all these video game clubs kind of fighting for what little resources we could we could get together and I thought that this is my opportunity to start building something that could give a young person that I once was who wants a community and wants a way to explore my passion in esports this is my opportunity to build something that could have, you know, enriched my life as a young person, and and it was it was through doing that, and I can I can talk more about developing esports communities and and where where I kind of came from before my time at Southern Cross, if if you think that's interesting, and it was it was through that that I I got really passionate about esports and really grew. There is such a cult following out there for esports, and I feel like it's gathering more limelight for sure in mainstream media, and that leads me to ask. There are people out there that don't really understand the concept of uh, gaming being labeled a sport. So what do you say to those people who to try and, you know, give esports the same respect as something like football or basketball? 
this is a huge debate. And ever since I, I came into the industry in, in a formal way as a, as a community leader, then a researcher, and now kind of a performance consultant for some of our elite teams in Australia and internationally, everyone's been arguing, especially people from the traditional sport world have been arguing, you know, is esports a sport? I don't think it's a sport is, is, is the general opinion. And, and back five years ago, I'd kind of die on that hill. I'd be like, no, esports is a sport just because we don't use gross motor movement like your rugby, your tackling, kicking, punching, whatever you know you associate with traditional sport. Just because we don't use that in esport doesn't mean that it it's not technically a sport. And my argument was that if you miss with your mouse by a pixel, you miss the chance to to win the objective or to cast the spell or to get the kill. If you don't click your keys at the exact right moment, you've missed the ability to hit your enemy or to whatever you need to do in your in-game objective. So it is it is determined by fine motor coordination, timing and communication with your teammates. And that was the argument I used to make. I used to go, you know, it definitely is a sport. But now, you know, in, in 2023, we're seeing esports being trialed at, at the Olympics where the Australian Institute of Sport, like you mentioned earlier, is, is giving people like me money to understand what determines success in esport. I'm not sure asking if esport is a sport is is the best question that we can be asking. For me, it's like millions and millions of young people are playing this. Millions of professionals are starting to make money from this, whether it's playing games or the commentators or the casters or the coaches or the researchers like myself are building their careers in this. I think the question people need to start asking is what impact is this having on the people who play it? What is it influencing positively and negatively? And we can move away from, you know, is it a sport or not? And and go, it's a thing. It's a real thing. And it's capturing the minds of our young people. Um, and what do we make of it? Absolutely. Because it has manifested into something on the same level. If you don't want to compare, that's fine. But you can't deny the fact that it's there. It's it's real. A hundred percent. And I think... What a lot of people like to talk about is the, the the Olympic competitions that are happening around esports, the the th things like the Dota International, where we had a $42 million US prize pool, or the League of Legends Worlds, where we've got you know over a hundred million people watching it over the course of its its weeks of play. But what what people might not realize, because it's not so readily put up to us in the media, is that all of the most of the universities in Australia are developing esports communities and around those esports communities they're developing high school competitions and education programs and after school extracurricular programs around esports it's like like you said it's really developing like a sport because that's the thing as well even when you do see your say traditional sports let's say football for example you're getting thousands of people attending these games millions watching nationally or internationally it's the same as esports. So there it is. It is growing. It's manifesting for sure. I was at a traditional sports conference a few years ago and someone boldly stood up and said that the biggest sport in the world in 2050 will be an esport. And as you can imagine, you know, the crowd were like, no, that's not true. That can't be so. And, th and then the speaker went on and, and what they said really made sense to me. What they said was, if you want to play esports, it doesn't matter if you are tall, if you are short, if you're strong, if you're weak, your gender doesn't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't have an impact. Your biology doesn't have an impact. It doesn't matter if you're playing in rural Australia and you've got one bar of 4G internet on your dongle, or if you're playing from the middle of South Korea and you can download 10 gigabytes a second. None of that matters in esports. If you have a computer and esports aren't played on these really powerful NASA-like supercomputers, you can play them on a really, really low quality, cheap computer. 
So if you have a computer and you have internet, you can participate in some of these massive esport competitions and you can you can develop yourself and develop your community through esports. So it's not a it's not a sport bound by nationality or geographical border or even language. And so the more I research, the more I work with these teams and the more I help communities develop, the more I start to think by 2050, the biggest sporting stars in the world by money, by audience, by fandom could be esports players. Absolutely, because you even look at like in the media today, there's a lot of uh, conversation about, you know, trans athletes. And it's like, you know, some people are saying, oh, we should be inclusive and other people just can't for some reason comprehend that. Where esports, there's no boundaries for that. It's such an inc an inclusive uh, sport. Yeah, the, the, that debate is is raging at the moment and that's going to have ripple effects. Whatever decision is made, we make as a, as a world around how we how we you know, make those decisions with esports, like you said, we, we might have an opportunity to not have to have, and I'm not saying this with much confidence now, I'll put an asterisk on what I say next, but we might not need to have men's leagues or women's leagues or a league based on anything other than your competence. And like you said, it could be maybe esports are the most inclusive sport we've, we've invented. Oh, for sure. Cause I haven't looked at it like this. Cause I, I do have a question about how big esports can get and i want to know your opinion on could it get as big as entering something like the olympics which i know you've talked about in the past and i want to say as well could that also be a leading factor if it does get into the olympics and there's no boundaries on you know sex gender religion all that can that be the next stepping stone for an international level for those boundaries to be broken down and we're getting instead of people based in these different categories we're kind of just saying okay who is just the best the best get the eight ten best people and let's just see them go at it uh, that that would be a dream if if we progress on whatever timeline towards a competition where it's it's not segregated by anything and it's just a it's a sport of cognition and fine motor movement and you know a, a biological man having testosterone doesn't give out any benefits then wouldn't that be amazing? And it's just who is the best player, regardless of any of that. That would be that would be absolutely incredible. So inclusive. It would bring so many people together. And, and on that topic, I think with a quick Google, anyone listening, you could type in, you know, video gamers with, with disabilities playing. And there's a couple of streamers out there. I've forgotten their name, but one person in particular had a really horrible accident and they don't have any arms or legs. And someone developed a controller for them to play player unknowns battlegrounds which is like a first person shooting game but the controller is actually four tubes that the player will blow into and then they move or orient the player's vision and aim by using their mouth on the four tubes as like a joystick and so i think this is a fantastic example of how someone who can can no longer fit into playing traditional sports has built their whole community has an online following of more than 50,000 people in esports and so maybe like you've said maybe maybe we we move towards competitions where there is no barrier to entry 100 percent. i think i think it's a positive for sure i agree well dylan do you think you could see esports then eventually and i'm hoping by 2032 because we are right near brisbane do you see esports uh in the olympics for the future so i um i think we're definitely moving towards that i don't know what the timeline is like you i hope that at 2032, we see a mainstream esport included as a medal event. Just to clarify a few things, the 
International Olympic Committee announced its eSports series in 2023, but the games that they've included are games that I would classify as virtual sports. And what, what I mean by that for someone who's listening is they're using games like Gran Turismo, which is a driving simulator game, Tic Tac Bow, which is virtual archery, games like chess.com, everyone you know has seen chess.com on, on the app store. These are the games that the Olympics are starting to bring in as, as events, not necessarily medal events, but as, as events that run alongside the main uh, Olympic sports. And so what I think might be happening, and you've touched on it, what I think might be happening is that the International Olympic Committee is dipping their toe in the water and going, let's see how our audience responds to a bit of virtual sport. And if that isn't completely shunned, then maybe we can try something that's a little more mainstream esports because there's a big difference for anyone that hasn't played esports between a Gran Turismo racing simulator where you drive on the same tracks in hydraulic cars that give you the feedback as you go around a corner. There's a big difference from that and say a League of Legends or a Counter-Strike or an Overwatch that are really traditional esport games. And, and I would encourage anyone listening to have a quick Google of what a, what a Counter-Strike is or what Overwatch is or what League of Legends is to really help help that point be articulated for them. I hope that by 2032, we see a mainstream esport included in the Olympic schedule of sports at the Brisbane 2032 Olympics. And I think we've actually been given an indicator that that might be where they're moving towards. Now, I've heard nothing. So I'm speculating from here on for anyone listening. I have, I have heard absolutely nothing. But the Australian Institute of Sport just funded me to develop a model of esport performance with the goal of adapting their high performance system to build the first gold medal ready esport athlete. That was the project that I pitched to them. And essentially that I said, you are fantastic at making swimmers, runners, traditional sport athletes. We've always punched above our weight population wise as a nation at the Olympics. We always represent Australia proudly and win more medals than we should population wise at, at the Olympics. If we want to do that in esports, we need to start now. And so essentially that's what I pitched. I said, give me a nine year run up and to, to see if we can build a model, adapt the systems that you already have so that should uh, esports be included in the Olympics, we're ready and we're not scrambling to try and develop some great players in nine months. And to my surprise, they said yes. So to anyone listening, you you take that as as you will and you connect the dots however you see fit. But I I, I wouldn't be too surprised. And, and I hope, I really hope 2032, we have an esport included in the Olympics. Oh, I hope so too. Because you even look at something like skateboarding, like that was probably at its peak about 20, 25 years ago when Tony Hawk was on the scene. And it took probably a good 20 years until it finally entered the uh, Olympics in Japan in 2021. So it, it did take some time, but we got there. So there's no reason why esports can't as well. And I think if, if and I doubt that someone from the International Olympic Committee is listening to us right now, but I think if you are on the Olympic Committee and you're going... All the statistics suggest that my traditional sport fans are getting older and that traditional sports aren't attracting the attention of young people who live in a much more digital world. We're on Instagram and Twitter and we watch our stuff on Twitch and YouTube and we're not the traditional you know, consumers of media. If I'm the International Olympic Committee, I'm going, I need to include something that is attracting, that is a sporting competition, however you want to define esports, I need to include something to capture the attention of, of a younger audience because we, we risk losing them. And I even, it just sprung to mind as well when you brought up Gran Turismo before with the virtual reality, 
I mean, if you're looking for something to benefit the environment, NASCAR is in the past. We're looking at VR Gran Turismo right here, Dylan. <laughs> and for, for the people who are sitting at home going, well, VR Gran Turismo, it's not like the real thing. You're right. It's not 100% the real thing. There isn't that immediate fear of if I miss this corner up, I might hit a wall at some very high speeds. But it's so realistic to the point where some current traditional drivers that are in our V3 series and, and some of our other motorsport series in Australia have actually been scouted and chosen by posting amazing lap times in their virtual, um, whether it's iRacing or Gran Turismo, in their virtual motorsport game counterpart. So it's not completely analogous to actually sitting behind you know behind the wheel of a race car but if you can start to pick people based on their video game scores and have them do quite well in the real thing then it is it's very it's similar enough and so so maybe as you said this is how we we help the environment moving forward is we we take some of these extremely fast gas guzzling cars and we yes. we play this game online we, we we have the race online it may take a little bit longer for america to be on board but we could get there <laughs> you put enough prize money and people will start doing it. 100%. But even look at like even pilots, the people that take us to and from where we need to be. To be a pilot, they need to do simulators and all beforehand. So, you know, virtual reality is something not new. It's been around for a while. It's just people are just starting now to realize that. And as VR becomes cheaper and more accessible to the average person, we'll see more and more use of it. In, in younger generations. So I think VR is a massive growth area. And one thing I'm working on, and we can talk about my, my research later, but, but one thing I'm, I'm trying to work on is, can I help UAV pilots make better decisions? Because at the end of the day, UAV pilot in a certain area is making a life or death decision when they click buttons. Can I help them make better decisions, say at the 10th hour of a long shift, flying over some area that doesn't look very interesting. And then all of a sudden you get the call, you know, it's up to you, make the call. Can we start to train some of these people from uh, from VR or esports-like scenarios? Definitely. Well, I will move on to um, another question that I had for you, and that was because I mentioned before that you have received funding from the Australian Institute of Sport for a project investigating the factors associated with the success of esports. Can you tell me about your research and what it involves? So I'll take a quick step back and I'll, I'll kind of talk about how I got to researching what I am researching because... One thing I really want to highlight to any students who are listening is that if you're looking to build your career in a professional space, and it doesn't have to be the playing of games, because I'm definitely not any good at playing games, but esports is an area that's showing tremendous growth. And it has there's a massive calling from the people in industry to people with skills to come and help make esports better. And, and what I mean by that is that a lot of people just watch a League of Legends game and they go, oh, wow, that was great. That was 10 guys, five aside, clicking buttons and one team clicked buttons better. Fantastic. But what, what they might not see is that there were two commentators. There were a whole bunch of production staff. There was a live event that needed to be run like any traditional sporting live event. Each team had a coach or two coaches, a sports psychologist, a dietitian. They probably trained at a strength and conditioning facility. The list goes on and on and on, all the way back to, you know, we've got esports journalists now, we've got esports, you name it. And so for any young person listening that goes, I love games or I have loved games, but I never thought there was going to be a career in that for me, there could be. You could be able to take what you're learning at Southern Cross or any any degree and apply that to support an esports team or an esport community. And, and that's how it started for me. So 
at the Queensland University of Technology where I did my undergraduate studies, uh, we started Australia's first university supported esports program. So we essentially built a cricket club for gamers. We had community spaces where people could come and just talk about games, their favorite characters, their favorite plays, talk about their favorite players in professional leagues and be fans. We had a full competitive system where we had trainings after you know after uni was done every night there were coaches that would train you and we'd build you competitions or enter you into competitions and so that's where I, I saw the power of esports firsthand and when I graduated from my undergrad in sport in psychology I thought I was going to be a sports psych I wanted to go do a sports psych master's program and, and work with elite cricketers and and someone said to me you've built this great community in esports there's been no research on it why don't you try and influence the esports industry in Australia and the world from a research perspective. And so, so that's where I started. I ran a whole bunch of interviews with the best players I could get my hands on. And I asked them a simple question. What is it that's happening in your head that makes you successful? Like what, what's going on? What makes you better than player B that you just beat? And some of the things I got back were, well, I can deal with stress. I can get into flow states. I'm, I'm able to get in the zone. Um, and, and from that, I ended up continually researching that and researching that more and, and that turned into my my PhD at, at the Queensland University of Technology so that was a PhD looking at the psychological determinants of success in esports which is the academic way of saying what makes one player better than another in their head and and it was from that that I've since was able to come and work at Southern Cross and they've supported me and, and backed me to keep doing this research and what the Australian Institute of Sport are saying is build on what you've already done the psychology of success in esport and help us understand it from a more holistic perspective. The project itself has to be finished by the end of the year. And what I need to do is build two models of performance. Model one, I need to understand what's happening in Australia. So what are the best players in Australia doing to make them the best? And I'm guessing now, because I haven't done it yet, but do they have a sleep scientist? Do they go to the gym and lift heavy weights or are they running lots? What's their diet like? How much are they training and what are they focusing on when they train? And I've got to build that in Australia. And then I've got to build the exact same thing overseas. And what the AIS want to see is what's happening in these major regions where these people are winning tens of millions of dollars for a weekend's worth of play versus what's happening in Australia. And then between those two models, we can understand the gap. And that's what we can start developing capabilities within the AIS to help catch up and overtake the rest of the world. So essentially that that's the project in a nutshell. What's happening in Australia? What's happening overseas? And what do we need to do to take everyone else over? And what else, because you do um, consult a few of these teams in Australia, what are some of the training schedules like for people to become um, esports people in a professional level? It's hard. Uh, straight up, it, it is it is a, just like if, if you ask me, what is it like to become Steve Smith, the captain of Australian cricket, Paddy Cummins? It's hard. It takes a lot of time on task. And one really exciting thing, and, and I'll, I'll jump back and then I'll, I'll come back to answering your question. But I think for a lot of the older people listening to this, when I say gamer, the stereotype that they have is young person in their mum's basement, you know, covered in terrible food, the Cheeto dust and the Mountain Dew playing video games. South Park ruined and it for us. <laughs> South Park were right 10 years ago. <laughs> to, to be the best gamer, that's what it was. You just played more than everyone else. But what we're seeing now is that to be the best gamer, you actually have to be fit. You have to be healthy. You have to have a good social life and a good, secure personal life. 
where possible. Like no, no one's social and, and personal life's perfect, but you know what I'm saying. You have to be a balanced, healthy individual, just like you were if you're, if, just like you are. Sorry, if you're a traditional sports athlete, to be a successful esports athlete. And I think this is mirroring traditional sport. Everyone remembers photos of, of Shane Warne smoking, having a Coke and a pie kind of at tea on the third day of the cricket many years ago, because that's the level of fitness that you needed to be the best player in the world at cricket. And 10 years ago, that that was esports. And, and now we're moving to this really high performance model where it's not okay just to be an un, really unbalanced, unhealthy person. You actually need to be developing holistically. So to answer your question directly, these young people are exercising a lot. They're eating as well as they can, and they're playing a lot of games, but they're focusing on quality of practice over quantity of practice with their coaches and psychologists. And And when I go and talk to teams, this is a lot of what I try to support them to develop. How can we look at development as a, as a long-term thing and not just winning the game that we're playing on Saturday? How can we set ourselves up for long-term success? And so this is a lot of that. I work with a lot of teams on that, and we're seeing that on the international scale as well. Sure. What would you say for, say, the next generation of, you know, esports um, stars coming through? What would they have to do to get involved on a professional level or even just get discovered so they can make that next step? So this is actually a very tricky question. And it's tricky because the old way to get noticed for anyone that's played esport and for those that haven't, I'll quickly explain. When you play esports in a competitive way, and I'm using air quotes when I say competitive, you're playing in the game's ranking system. And often, they're all different between games, but often it's like ELO in chess, in that if you win, your number goes up, and if you lose, your number goes down. And so every time you're playing a game and you're winning and losing and winning and losing, your average is determining whether you're going up or down in your your ELO or your kind of in-game rank. And what would happen is that you'd get every, all the people who got to the top of those in-game ranks, they'd reach out to professional teams, and they'd say, hey, look how good my in-game rank is. Can I come and play for your professional team? The problem was, is that to be really good in the in-game rank is actually sometimes different to being really good in the real competitive elite pro scene. Because to be really good in the in-game rank, you're just playing on your own. You're not really communicating as much as you could be or as you will be if you're playing in a professional team. And the stakes aren't ever as high. And so you get people that go from playing at home under less pressure to playing in front of some of these ridiculous crowds I've talked about for some of this ridiculous money I've talked about, and they don't know how to handle that. Whereas in traditional sport, they would have slowly ranked up through grade cricket, grade six, grade five, rep cricket. You know, they would have slowly moved up towards and built all of those skills. And that was the old model was whoever had the highest rank, we would pick them and we'd put them together and we'd see if they could win. But now that we've got universities developing competitions, we've got academy leagues being developed under the professional competition, and we've got all the way down to high school leagues being developed. We're actually starting to see people be picked on their performances in those leagues as opposed to their really high in-game ranks. So the industry is in a transformational period. And what I would say to young people or parents who have young people that are playing this who are listening is get your young person involved if they're passionate about esports and they want to be involved, get them involved in facilitated, safe esport competitions because that removes a lot of the negatives of the internet. 
They're not playing with strangers online anymore. They're playing either virtually or in person, depending on your location with a coach and with four or five other players who there are consequences if they say something bad or something bad gets said to them. And there, there's no anonymity in that they could, someone could say something bad to your young person or yourself and vanish. My, my advice to young people or parents with young people who really want to get their, help their young person grow through their passion of esports is get involved in a facilitated safe program. And that really is the difference between amateur and professional. It's just that that's what it is. It's the exact same as, as you said, other sports are today. And it's good that they're trying to get into schools and that now too, to try and build on that and to see who is, you know, basically worthy to go to the next level. Just like traditional sport. Like, like you said earlier, it is developing just like a traditional sport. hundred percent. Well, I did want to ask as well, because I'm such a huge fan of Rocket League. One of the only games I'm good at. <laughs> And I've enjoyed watching the competition grow, but what are some other games that are growing to a competitive level in esports? So I think Rocket League is going to have a big future. I think Rocket League is going to have a really big future because it is very young person friendly. There's no shooting, there's no dying, there's no facilitated violence really in in this esport. It's just rocket cars playing soccer. And it's who can move the keyboard, so who can press the keyboard buttons and move the mouse more accurately, or who can articulate the buttons and joysticks on a controller um, with better timing. That that's that's what Rocket League is. And so I think we'll see a big future because that's something I can see being played in primary schools. That's something I can see that young people playing in in solos, duos, or whatever the higher is it teams of three or teams of five? What's the biggest? Uh Three to five, depending yeah, on what you want. Yeah. Um, that's something I can I can really see growing. Your, your biggest esports are your Defense of the Ancients 2. So that's your Dota 2. That's got the biggest prize pool in the world at the moment. League of Legends or LOL, that's got the most viewers. And there, I think they're safe because it's very magical. It's not very, um, how do I, I'll use the example of Counter-Strike. I think Counter-Strike might struggle to get accepted into high schools for sure. But by something like the Olympic Committee, because essentially it's a team of terrorists versus a team of counter-terrorists. And when you shoot someone in the head, blood splatters all over the wall behind them. I don't see that something, you know, that parents want in a in a grade eight classroom. I can't see that. A little unethical. Yep, definitely. Um, definitely. Yeah. Whereas League of Legends, you might be a magical lightning bear who is casting a lightning bolt on a tinkerbell like fairy you know it's a it's a bit it's a bit different and you don't die you just you just evaporate you know it's 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 very it's it's different and so i think for traditional sport acceptance some of the first person shooter games might take a little bit longer to to be accepted or they might have to go on their own whereas the the rocket leagues and the league of legends and the overwatches might be more quickly and more readily accepted by general traditional sport consumers or parents I can even see for like, say the Olympic level, I can see Rocket League there for sure. Because if you look at the platform, it's like you can say to sponsors, like, I will put your logo on this field. Like you will be seen throughout the whole world while we're playing Rocket League. And it's just, it's the best, I think, sport to make that stepping stone. It's also very easy for traditional sport audiences to understand. Yes. So so this is this is why first person shooter games have and when I say first person shooter for the listeners, I mean your Fortnites, your Counter Strikes, your PUBGs, your Call of Duties. They grow really quickly in popularity because they're easy to watch because we get it. We get that one person shoots the other person and that was them winning. 
The same with Rocket League. When the ball goes into the opponent's goal, point goes up. Just like football, we get it. We've been conditioned through any sport exposure to understand how that game works. When you think about a more mainstream esport, a more traditional esport like League of Legends, there's not really a sporting equivalent that's prepared us for five players playing in different lanes that are all collecting minion gold but have different abilities but that change throughout the game and then there's objectives that pop up like it's really hard to use a traditional sport model to help people understand that whereas just like you've said something like rocket league could be the bridge between the esport world and the traditional sport world that gets people going wait a minute this stuff's interesting this is really cool definitely like if i see logan paul and ksi uh, sponsor prime in rocket league it's reached a new peak. It really has. <laughs> when you've got your big YouTubers sponsoring esports, that's that's when we've made it. I love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. You heard it here first. <laughs> um, I do want to say lastly, Dylan, what else is on the horizon for you? What else is on the horizon for me? So for any of the students who are studying here at the moment, I have worked at big universities. I've worked at smaller universities and I've absolutely fallen in love with with Southern Cross. I think we have such a student-focused approach to our education and our research and the community at, at Southern Cross. And so I really want to build a lot of esports capabilities over a long term at Southern Cross. A lot of the work I do is with Dr. Kyle Bennett, who works in uh, health and human sciences. And him and him and I really want to build a kind of the lighthouse for Australian esports research and training and development and mental health promotion. And we really want to use esports as a vehicle for positive change in in Australia. And so what's next what's next for me is is continuing on that on that mission. I'd love to have an esports lab on campus where young people could come and play games build communities and we can enter them into competitions just like what I set up at at QUT. I'd, I want to keep doing uh, research on, on this because I think there are a lot of negative stereotypes about gamers that anyone who hasn't been in the esports industry could easily believe. But once you come and see a high school tournament and you see like what we were able to do at QUT, 500 high school students from Southeast Queensland fill up a lecture hall and cheer on their favourite their friends and, and be cheered on by their family, you'll see that there's something more here than some of the negative stereotypes are getting around. And I really want to build those capabilities at SCU. And for any of the students listening who are going, hey, I love esports and I want to do my thing, my profession in esports, or I want to come and do more research with me or Kyle in, in esports, just just reach out. We're really, we have a long-term vision for esports at at Southern Cross and we really want to build something special and and at the moment we're the first university to have an Australian Institute of Sport grant for esports in Australia and that puts us as far as I can tell at the front of esports research in Australia and we really want to stay there and so someone listening to this this could be the start of your esport journey as a professional or a researcher or academic and and you'll be you'll be supported to do that at, at Southern Cross so Blake that that's essentially my five to ten year plan is keep building what we're do keep building on what we're doing here at Southern Cross. Well, I can definitely see success uh, for you in esports with many years to come. And yes, if you do um, have a little esports lab at the uh, universities, I will be there every weekend. So please let that happen. <laughs> oh, mate, that's the dream. That's the dream for me. Um, and I think for so many young people, esports, for so many young people that don't fit into the traditional sports model, esports can be the avenue 
developing their community, developing teamwork, leadership skills, communication skills. It, it's really, it's really digitized sport and it, it can do amazing things. And I've seen it do amazing things for young people. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on here today, Dylan. I could have talked to you for another hour, to be honest, but our time is almost up. <laughs> but um, I hope to have you back again and maybe we can um, see where you are in like another year's time and how it's progressed at uh, UNE Sports. Sounds great. Can't wait. Amazing. Well, thank you, Dylan. And thank you to everyone for listening. I'd also like to acknowledge the traditional lands that this podcast was recorded on and extend my respects to elders both past and present. Mm-hmm.